Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. I'm thrilled to have on Neil Centuria. He is an entrepreneur, uh, ran, ran quite a few businesses over his career. He's also been a published columnist in the San Diego Union Tribune for decades and is the recent author and podcast hope host of the of a of a book and a podcast by the same name I'm there for you baby. Uh, we discuss a wide variety of topics which include morality and technology, leadership, how to or what it means actually like the truth of entrepreneurship and in general what does it take to be successful? So I hope you find this as valuable and as engaging as I did. Uh, with no further ado, my conversation with Neil. Neil, thanks so much for joining us. It's such an honor to have you on today. I'm thrilled to talk about your column, perhaps your your career and your new your new podcast uh, your your new podcast coming out. I'm there for your baby, which you're doing with your wife. So it's very exciting to have you on today. Thanks. Um, I, uh, I normally uh, only talk to the rabbi at synagogue. This is pretty special. Well, I'm I'm honored. It's uh, we're recording this for the record on a Thursday, so uh, you're you're expanding out the repertoire. Uh, Neil, you you have been writing for years. You've been in the media for years. Tell me a little bit why it's so important for you not just to excel in business, but to share the lessons and the path and to communicate with the outside world. That's a good question. I think to answer it in a non-glib way. The book, the first, I've written three volumes of this I'm There For You Baby. And the first one was 2011. But it comes from a place in Hollywood. So I spent from 1971 to 1980, nine years in Hollywood. I was a fellow at the American Film Institute and I wrote sitcoms and screenplays and pilots and crap, some of which was made, most of it which wasn't, even the stuff that was made was rewritten. And the phrase, I'm there for you, baby, comes from what people say to each other in Hollywood. It's either let's do lunch, checks in the mail, will you sleep with me? Or some variation on the word sleep, because it's Hollywood. and. No problem. I'm abs- I'm there for you, baby. The and third so just, is probably not a good one for uh, for publication on your podcast. I don't know if the the Tribune would have would have published that one. No, probably not. And and um, I wrote the book, and and my my point of view was to try to tell the truth about entrepreneurship and innovation. So I, I was a I started in technology in 95 after a career in real estate, first movies, then real estate, then technology. And when you went to these conferences, uh, there'd be a guy on the panel and he'd say, my name is Joe Blotz and I raised some money and I sold the company for a billion dollars and I'm brilliant. And, And no one ever quite asked the hard question, what was the financing? What was the pre-money? How much did you actually, how much was luck? How much was skill? All the questions. Because mostly it's just, I mean, I made a load of money. I'm a, I'm a genius. So I thought it was important to try to tell, because by that time when I wrote the book, I'd been a CEO 
seven or eight times. I'd uh, sold a company for 80 million and I've lost money. So I've been up and down the model. And the idea behind the book and the title is gonna try to tell you the truth because it's easy to get fooled. It's easy to get fooled by the guy on the panel and not everybody is an entrepreneur. So a recent column I wrote had as its topic, you know, it was talking about, it was talking about, there's two, one was about Quibi and one was about, you say, what are you, what, what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. Well, you, you can't be an entrepreneur. You can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, you can be an accountant, you can be a chiropodist, you can be a wellness instructor, you can be a yoga instructor, but you can't be an entrepreneur. <clears throat> and there's this kind of, this, this kind of, if you're not one, you're a failure. And one of the themes in that particular column was not everyone is Elon Musk. Not everyone is going to be Tesla, but there's 48,016, 48016 of the current number of employees at Tesla. And every one of them is working and is changing the world. So maybe you're not changing the world and maybe Elon Musk is changing the world, but you're part of. And it turns out that lots of people really, it, it's not such a sin, <laughs> Rabbi, it's not such a sin to work for someone or a company that you enjoy, where you add value and in effect are an intrapreneur, which is bringing change within an organization. And by the way, if they go to the book site, I'm there for you, baby, and they look at the cover. Don't ask me if that's just by mistake. The cover is intentional. You want to go to the cover? Go to the cover. Don't. It was by design. That cover is by design and and puts a, a, a fine point on my previous time in Hollywood. Amazing. I, I, well, one of the things that's interesting is someone that's been also, you, you're a professor of entrepreneurship at San Diego State and UCSD. Uh, I am, UCSD is my alma mater. I did not study entrepreneurship there. Um, but it's interesting that the, that the professor of entrepreneurship says that entrepreneurship as a, as a, I guess you could say as a trade, it doesn't exist or an identity doesn't exist. Um, no, no, no. Let me, let, me let me be very precise. You, you can't teach some, in my opinion, you can't teach someone to be an entrepreneur. You can teach how to think in an entrepreneurial way. It's so interesting because there is such a myth associated, especially now, especially post-tech and candidly post the, the, um, the censorship of, of the US president on all the social platforms, just how powerful, so to speak, or not even so to speak, like practically speaking, like these companies are bigger than the government in, 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 in so many ways. And someone that can start something like that, there's such a fabled role of that. It's like, forget about being the president now, you wanna be in charge of Apple. So how, how do you, how do you, what, what, what is that like for you to look at that, you know, in your multi-decade journey is sort of the rise of this fabled position, so to speak, of being able to create tremendous wealth, have tremendous power, is there, a, is there a downside to that? Is there a, um, is there, is there a benefit to that? How do you, how do you see that role as it's been sort of developed in our society? I was actually uh, surprised. I don't know about the word surprised, but you said it well. 
The truth is, if you turn off Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook, you don't really have a platform to talk to your constituents. And whether or not that's good or bad, I think that's a longer conversation. What has interested me, however, is that I either don't have the interest or the skills to, I'm gonna not, it's not the sentence to build an app. My interest was in trying to do hard things. So I have to tell you that building an e-commerce site to collect all the people who do lawn mowing with a place that they can meet the people who have lawns, yeah, that's nice. And it's probably a business. And the lawnmower people need to meet the people who have lawns. And I get it. I have no interest in that at all. I mean, that's just not that that is as commerce. It's nice. And I think you can be profitable at it. But at the end of the day, I've picked hard things. I picked material science. I picked oil and gas. I picked hard technology. I picked content. I picked what's called a, a, a Bayesian uh, algorithms. I mean, how you find things. I picked hard things that interested me. Along the way, I both made money and didn't, but I didn't feel like it was, a, not that it was a waste. I, I didn't feel that it was root, but wrote, wrote, meaning I can make an e-commerce site. There's now there's tools now that you can make one in about 11 minutes. And then all you, now, then you've got to go find the people. Here's the problem. What's called a two-sided marketplace. There are famous two-sided marketplaces that have connected kidney donors with people who need them. Hard stuff that, that have issues about what's appropriate and how many and who should get it. And there's also sites that say, all right, I got, I got to go find a bunch of guys with lawnmowers and I got to go find a bunch of guy was lawn. But that's not that hard. So if you're going to live here and you only get somewhere between a couple of years and maybe 90, but not forever, I don't want to waste my time. It's not that it's wasted. It's just because you can't do 20 companies. I mean, people, this thing, serial entrepreneur, yeah, that's nice. It's sort of like, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's, it, it's an appellation that has a lot of fish hooks in it. Maybe you can do two or three really, really good ones. I, I, I did a few more than that, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure I answered your question, but it's interesting. I'm more interested in the hard things. I, I'm, and, and frankly, you, to go back to your real question, which is, what do I think of the power of Facebook and other social? I think that they are, that they either internally or externally need to find a moral compass. So what you could ask me is, do you have a social media presence? I say, no, I, I have a Facebook page. I don't know how to access it. I'm being forced to enter the world of social media now that I have a podcast. But, but you can go, you can send it to I'm there for you, baby, and you can pod and we're funny. And, but, but I'm not posting a picture of what I had for lunch on Facebook or Instagram. You know, it's like a picture of a pizza. I ain't doing that. You find your own pizza. I'm not doing that. So I have strong feelings about it on a personal level. I think that that's, that's 
It's very interesting. A couple of things came out that I heard from your answer that perhaps you'll you'll confirm or deny. Number one is that for people that go, I think just about with anything, it's like in, in Hollywood as well, if you're looking to make money, if you're looking for like the, the glory uh, or the, the fame, uh, probably entrepreneurship is not the easiest way to go, just like Hollywood's not the easiest go because there's a lot more people that didn't get there. And if you look at the ones that did, they weren't going there to do that. That's piece number one that you're saying is that they they loved the skill, they loved the problem, they loved the art, and then they were rewarded because they were also, again, like you said, either at the right place at the right time. They, Jim Collins talks about that a lot, that there's a, you always, you know, that there's a large element of luck and, and timing that goes into all these kinds of things. So don't well, go- You gotta really pound on this. The fantasy that you do it. Remember, I go back to the beginning. The guy on the panel says, well, I had an idea. I raised a bunch of money. I sold it for a billion dollars. What he doesn't tell you is either his father knew of, he happened to meet a guy. It, it turns out, for example, I'll give you a specific. You, you need to acknowledge, you need to embrace, and you need to truly be grateful for this thing called luck. I'll tell you a good story. So there's a guy named Dan Kahneman. Kahneman has won the Nobel Prize on behavioral economics. He is the master. I mean, I've read everything. I, I, I am, I am an ac I'm, he's my acolyte. Okay. So he tells the following story, and I've repeated this a thousand times. He says, luck is not random. He says, luck is a train. The luck train comes through. The trick is to stand on the platform, and when it comes through, to get on. Now watch what's important. You have to stand on the platform. No, you can't go get a, get a sandwich and wander around. The, the, and I'll tell you what else about the luck train. It doesn't have a schedule. So it is a force. It's like a sine curve. It comes through all the time. If you're standing on the platform, you can get on. But it's not random. And I mean, wow. So I, I have been the beneficiary of good fortune. I grew up with parents who were educated. I was you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I had two parents, all those things. It's Warren Buffett who says, I won the contest. The, 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 I won the ovarian lottery when I was born in Nebraska to two parents and a good mind. I had won the game. I, you know, it, what, what, what also comes up for me, which is, which is really interesting and sort of also sort of it's a sign of the times is that now with social media, I think the real, the real challenge is the comparison because we don't see all the failures. We see a lot of the successes. And like you're saying, it's like, it's, you can't get upset at yourself that your company is growing at maybe X speed when someone else is growing at Y speed because the guy with Y speed, it was like his fourth company and he had all of his own money to invest in it. And you're starting out of a ba in a basement somewhere. So there's also this uh, challenge that a lot of modern people that we have in the modern world, which is that we're, we're able to sort of look and sort of see a superficial comparison and then sort of get down on ourselves as a result. When what you're saying is that that that's kind of the secret of entrepreneurship is there was a lot of luck and there was a probably a couple of things that you didn't see that came in that you don't have at your disposal that allowed that guy to get to that billion dollar valuation. There's another thing you touched on. <clears throat> So I just finished a column. It's going to run in a couple of weeks. And the subject was a woman wrote a book called uh, The Health, Health Tooth or something. I, I'm embarrassed I don't have it in front of me. Um, but she talks about self-compassion. 
self-compassion self is the willingness to, to, to make it simple. Dude, lighten up. Give yourself a break. And he, she talks about self-compassion. We are our own worst enemies. I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not, I actually have this. You can edit it out later. It's called, where the hell is it? I, here it is. Her woman, the woman's name, Neil. Oh, here it is. This is all editable, I'm sure. It's called Alice Boyce, B-O-Y-E-S. And it's called The Healthy Toolkit. I thought it was interesting. I don't, I don't think it's by any stretch a great book, but she's, she tells the entrepreneur, she tells the, she tells the, the, uh, the reader, it's okay to be self-compassionate. Interesting word, compassionate, meaning it's okay. For example, she says, when you're hungry, don't be cranky, go eat lunch. In other words, it's okay. You, you, gotta, you gotta allow yourself to be human. Now you're a rabbi, so you've probably studied a little bit about human and humanity. So being willing to be human is to come with all your warts, all your failings. You're gonna try to climb the mountain. You'll get up halfway. Eventually you may get more of the way. Some people get to the top of the mountain. Some people don't get to take the first step because they twisted their ankle. You gotta be willing to, 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 to be grateful and to be compassionate, not just to other people. I'm good at that. I, we're philanthropic, we throw dough around, but it's hard to be good to yourself. And if you are, of course, it's much easier than to be good to other people. I, I, I so appreciate that lesson because I'm sure you see it also that so, so many people are looking for the way or the tool, even in the group of, uh, I, I had this recently come up in, in that I, I, do, I do a lot of coaching and I, I study so many different, again, I, I'm reading, I've, I've read thousands of books. I've read thousands, I have thousands of methodologies, thousands of podcasts, and I'll just pull from this to that. And everyone's like, well, how do, it's like a contradiction, this to that, and how do you do that? And I said, you know, at the end of the day, the only way I was able to make any like real like progress myself was I was just really committed to where I want to go. And I just kind of kept going. And I had a deal, like you said, with all the self-doubt, learn self-compassion. I'm not where I'm going to finish up. I hope, you know, I'm going to keep going, but it's that non-tangible stuff that I feel like you need to, that's kind of the, the secret sauce, so to speak, to actually get there. And the, and the more successful people I've studied, that's what they're really good at. Except, you know, again, there are a couple of people that are just like supreme tactician, tacticianers, but most people, it's like, they just know how to keep going and find the people that are smart and sort of assemble, assemble qualified people to advise them or to be on their team. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the technical phrase for that, to some extent, is the network effect, which is, I need, I need to be available, I need to be out there. I got to allow for the possibility of good fortune. But, you know, I also see that if you're too hungry or you're obvious or you're only a taker, there's a famous book of Adam Grant, you know, uh, Give and Take uh, and, and his theory, and he's proven it, that givers are more successful, they make more money, they have better lives than takers. 
Now, on the face of it, you say, well, that seems obvious. I'm going to tell you it's hard because we think we're givers. But the truth is, lots of us, until we work at it, we're sort of a little bit. But most it's a it's a it's a well, I'll give you if you'll give me. Or I'll, I'm, but un, unqualified is God's love. OK, this is your area. Unqualified giving. Man. That's the best of all and hard to do. It's that they talk about, you know, the when you when you give a when you make a charitable contribution, I want my name on 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 the building is one, and the other is anonymous. And that's the, that's the range. Everybody's done that story story. I'm not all the way to anonymous, but I don't want any buildings. And the the more you can do this with no expectation of of quid pro quo, no expectation of I'll get it back. If you really can try that, my father would say, cast your bagel upon the water, comes back with the locks and cream cheese. That's awesome. I love that. You don't know when it's coming back. You don't know when the tide is coming, but you'll get the bagel back. It'll be better. Neil, you know, one of the things that you brought up, which I think is very interesting, and it's, it's, it's the second time I've heard this concept this week, so I, I think there's something to dig into there, is, is the realization you said about the compass of the, the, the tech companies and 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 how and how big they are and how if you look at any of their all their all of their stories are so ferret at this point uh, that you know none of these guys really had any idea what they were doing most of them sort of backed interacts again mark zuckerberg's making you know a network for his dad's dentist practice and instagram was like a, their second company and all these kinds of things and so you're saying like they need a compass how does someone who has built a, 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 a juggernaut try to figure out what the compass is at the stage that they're at. I want you to use the word moral compass. I don't think it's hard. Moral compass, to, thank you. Yeah, it, a business plan, I, I've seen 10,000, but a moral compass, and to some extent, I don't know if your listeners are allowed politics, but when McConnell, for example, I'm a Democrat, right? and when McConnell at the very end, there's five days left for Trump, he says, well, you know, this is how I, I'm going to support you when it didn't count, when it was, you know, that thing where there's a penalty and if the play is complete, it counts. And if it doesn't, you get it over again. When it doesn't count, it's easy to be generous in spirit. It's easy to have a spine. It's easy to do the right thing when it doesn't count. But when it costs you something, that's the difference. And, and I want to live a life that has some connection to that is it is it i'm so i'm curious like we we it again it's like these big companies or people in general we're not we're not living in the shtetl anymore we're not you know like just in our, our small locale when it comes to advocating or perhaps educating again you have you have columns you have books you have podcasts you're a professor like how do you educate someone towards a moral compass what do you say? What's that based on? Where does it come from? You're great. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the end of this. So before we started this, my, my daughter called. My daughter is 34 and she has her first baby. What was it? Her name is Sophia, but she has a, it's something steadle giddle. It has to do with education. I don't know the first word yet, but but she got, a, sure. she got a Hebrew name. Mazel tov. And the, and the, the daughter is three months old. So she asks the question. This is literally 20 minutes ago. 
or now it's a half hour. She asks the question, how do I raise a child with a spine? I thought, huh. So I said, well, you had uh, some parents and you have uh, this and you got teachers. But that was, a, that was a glib and quick answer. The question of how do you raise a child or yourself? How, how do you imbue, how do you implant a spine, a moral compassed spine? How do you, how do you encourage planting in people, not just her daughter? That's a tough question. I can't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to give you the answer, but it's, an, it, it's a challenge worth trying to meet because you can see the difference in people who have a moral spine, who, who, for want of the better phrase, they do the right thing. Now, we may disagree on what the right thing is for a moment. Let's just not go there. But, you know, we, we, have, we have hundreds of years of history. And in the case of the Jews, thousands of years of history of people who stood up for, called truth to power, who were willing to be killed for, who stood up and said for, who advocated for. And those are examples that we should, should draw from. I don't know how to teach the spine, but I guess the answer is I'll give it, I'll make it your world. If you go back to the Torah and the Talmud, they're really good examples. So Jewish spines, maybe they're a little stiffer than others. You know, it's so it's so interesting. I was having a conversation with a with a close friend of mine who is Jewish by birth, but um, extremely extremely educated and advanced and well connected within within Buddhist and Hindu circles, and and he said that um, that that they're all there's it's everyone has these different prisms, but ultimately you know the prisms are reflecting back to something that is accurate, and it's interesting because. I guess you could really say that about anything and you have people behaving in any way possible and everyone thinks that they're right. But <clears throat> I guess it, it, it's definitely interesting to at least compel a person to consider what does morality mean to them? What does being a good person mean to them? Because so often, I guess like you're saying, you're asking those kinds of questions oftentimes not too late, but but it's almost in a lot of ways, it's, it's difficult. Because again, we see with um, certainly like the entrepreneurial operating system or a lot of these systems say, you have to start with your values. Like Simon, Simon Sinek, start with why. So figure out why you're doing something, figure out the values that you'll hire and fire around. And very often we find ourselves down the road being like, I don't know what my values are. I'm not really sure. We've never really had this problem before. So I guess just preempting the whole process and saying, start by figuring out who you are and what you buy into, whatever that is, just asking the question itself is probably a good start. Yeah. The, in building a team, everybody understands the power and value of a team. And then there's a hundred thousand books on leadership. But if you boiled all the books down in the one small matzo ball soup, the word would be authenticity. If you live, this is a little arrogant, so you can either edit it out or discount it. Well, now I'm gonna keep it, go for it. If you could live an authentic life, that means your values may change and, and you won't always get it right, 
and you will be challenged. I'm sorry, I should have clicked this off and hold on. And, and you'll be challenged with, with issues that you may not have dealt with before. It's not easy, but the word authentic, when people experience you, your interaction, when you stand and give a sermon, when they experience the authenticity of the rabbi, that moves people. Whether they really know that Solomon was married to Beersheba or his brother-in-law was Uncle Harry and Isaiah was, they may not know about that, but they will know that the guy talking comes from an authentic place. He can be, he can be, he, when you look back, he won't have moved. He, his, his place in the firmament is kind of fixed. It's, it, you can find it at latitude 32, five minutes, four degrees. And when you come back in three months, he's right there at 32, four degrees. That's authentic. I appreciate that. Neil, do you have any, any, any final thoughts? You've had quite the, uh, quite the career, quite the platform. And I guess now you're launching, you know, career and platform number, you know, 372. Um, what should, well, what should I'll tell you a story. So it's in, you're in Canada, right? I'm, I'm in Minnesota for about two more weeks and then I'm moving to Arizona. But I thought, oh, but you're, do you, do you preach in Minnesota or Arizona? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've, I was running the nonprofit in, in Minnesota. So do I have final thoughts? No, I'm, I'm, uh, so I should turn the tables on you. You're an ordained rabbi, but you don't, you don't, you don't have a, a, a congregation at the moment. I don't think I want, I don't think I'm going to have one ever. But you, you did once? But I don't. I, I've, yes, I've worked for organizations, yes. Well, I admire the education of becoming a rabbi. Why? Oh, why, you said? Yeah. Well, it's funny. There are, there was, there was a rabbi here in San, in San Diego. His name is Rabbi Philip Grobart, G-R-A-U-B-A-R-T. And Philip Grobart really moved me. Uh, he was human and personable. He served the synagogue Bethel for, I think, 10 or 11 years, and then he retired Maybe it's children, maybe it's, I don't know, he left. You know, there was great sadness, but you could always tell that he was deeply authentic and really educated, Me meaning not just educated in the, in the Talmud and the Torah, he was educated. He read a hundred books a week. That, that, that moved me. The, uh, the only thing I could tell your audience that they don't know is that sometime in the next probably three or four months, there's a book that's going to come out that my, I wrote with my wife, uh, and it's called The Moment. And it's a story of the largest woman-run Ponzi scheme in American history, starring Gina Champion Kane. The number was 400 million. She's right here in San Diego. So we wrote the book, and it appears uh, that either Random House or some house is going to publish it so that when we come back and we do another podcast in three or four months, I'll be able to pedal my book. Sounds fantastic. I appreciate so much the time. Thank you. Good. Enjoy and be careful in Arizona because their, their COVIDing has increased. So I've already, I've already gotten it. So I think I'm hopefully good to go for a little bit. All right. Well,
There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.